0: It is your Friday Daily Delivery. I'm Michael Rand. Glad to be back for another day. Hope you guys are all having a great day out there, getting ready for a long weekend. A um, bit of housekeeping, but no show on Monday. Probably not much of a surprise. Most of you probably taking that day off, or at least I hope they are. Hope you are. I am as well, but I'll be back on Tuesday with Patrick Royce and a whole bunch of good shows coming up next week. Um Today's show is a good one. Jeff Day from the Star Tribune who wrote a terrific piece on club volleyball that is on StarTribune.com right now and will be in your Sunday print edition. He will join me here in just a little bit to talk more about that story, more about the behemoth that youth sports are and just kind of some of the reporting along the way and some of the surprises that he had as he kind of got deeper into the world of club volleyball and that story. So listen for that here in just a few minutes. We'll get to the links at the end of the show. Um, first, though, what did I miss? Is is history on the verge of being made? I guess the verge would mean it's right around the corner. In this case, Boston would have to win two more games to complete a comeback from a 3 nothing series deficit, but they got Game 5 in convincing fashion in Boston on Thursday night against the Heat, Miami the eight seed, having an unbelievable run through the playoffs, but got up 3-0 in this series and you looked at it and you were like, well, if any if there was any any time there was going to be the potential for a team to finally win a series after being down three oh, it was it was this one, right? You know, because Boston was one of the best teams in the NBA all season long. You know, one of the top seeds in the East, and even though Miami had easily dispatched number one seed Milwaukee in the first round in that 1-8 matchup, you thought, hey, Boston, you know, coming in, that's, that's this is definitely still the series' favorite, even though Miami is playing well, and Boston goes down into an 0-3 hole, but still you're thinking at that point, if if anybody has a chance to do it, it is... It's Boston. It was kind of interesting. On the other side, it kind of felt the other way. Even though Denver in the West was the number one seed, you thought maybe just maybe LeBron has some magic in him and could bring them all the way back. And I'll I'll even reference that when I get to a a Chris Hine Q and A with former Timberwolves coach, current Nuggets assistant um, uh, Ryan Saunders that just went online Friday morning. But. bigger picture is that you, you thought maybe Boston had a chance to do this, but they had to get that first one. You have to get up emotionally for a road game four, down 3-0 in the series, and you know playing on another team's home floor. You've just been blown out in game three, and it would have been very easy at that point for them to just lose go home, say it wasn't our year, you know, they they had a coaching transition right before the start of the season, could have been easy to just say, you know what, had a good run, just wasn't our year, but they got that one, again, in pretty convincing fashion, and that gave them some momentum. I, mean, I Heat players after the game five loss are trying to say, I think this was, uh, actually this was the head coach, Eric Spolster, is talking about, um, Was there an emotional letdown or is there going to be an emotional letdown? He said, who cares about mood? We have a gnarly group. I think so much of that is overrated. It's a competitive series. You always expect things to be challenging in the conference finals. One game doesn't lead to the next game. Based on all the experience that we've had, it doesn't matter in the playoffs. It doesn't matter if you lose by whatever. That's true to a degree, but I think sometimes there is an emotional hangover from from games. Teams can get start to get tight. Teams can start to kind of say, well, we had this golden opportunity. It was 3-0. Now it's 3-1. Ugh, now it's 3-2. We've just lost again in Boston. Boston seems like maybe they've figured something out. Now, Game 6 does go back to Miami, and that's going to be an epic, epic Game 6 because I don't care what you say, Um, it'll feel like a Game 7. Kevin Love kind of laughed off that question saying, no, it feels like a Game 6. Feels to me a little bit like a Game 7. I'm not saying the Heat couldn't win a Game 7 if they lost a Game 6, but that Game 7 would be back in Boston. Boston would have all of the... Pre-game energy, at least. And again, that can change. I agree with Spolster. That can change once the game starts. You know, games are their own entities. But there is a cumulative energy, I think, sometimes in these series that we can't overlook. Maybe the media makes too much of it, and maybe players make too little of it. Maybe there's some sort of happy middle ground. But this game six is going to be an epic, epic game. And I I don't know. This feels to me like the situation where it could finally happen, that a team could overcome That you know that that three nothing series deficit—it's happened. You know in the NHL before it obviously happened in Major League Baseball when the Red Sox did it to the Yankees in the 2004 ALCS, and then they rode that momentum. Sorry, there was momentum to the World Series that year. Um, So I don't know. This feels like the opportunity. It could happen. I will definitely be watching for that in a couple days. It's just. just fascinating, fascinating theater in the NBA playoffs all year, and maybe this is going to happen for the first time. And really quick, that Ryan Saunders Q and A was interesting to me. Just um, you know, just kind of catching up with him. Chris Hine did a good job with that, and just you know, you kind of forgot about him a little bit when he left here, when he was fired, you know, a couple of years ago. Landed on his feet for sure. He's done a good job as an assistant with the Nuggets. Obviously, you know, local local guy you know son of Flip Saunders we know all the stories about Ryan Saunders he was always a good person um you know, a good uh, you know nobody disliked that I could see Ryan Saunders it just didn't work out for him as a head coach was dealt. A lot of unfortunate hands, including having to coach through COVID, having to coach through a lot of different personnel. So, good to see him doing well in Denver. Good to see Denver, uh, for his sake, having a strong season. And maybe, just maybe some point, he'll get back in the head coaching seat. Take a playcation to Mystic Lake. With 24 7 gaming, the good times never have to end. And you can satisfy your cravings at our restaurants and bars. Or relax in one of our luxurious hotel rooms. Those that play together, stay together. And don't forget to join Club M so you can spark new memories and bask in the rewards along the way. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is play day. Happy to bring in Jeff Day from the Star Tribune, a multi-platform writer and editor over in sports. Had a terrific piece that is online now went up on thursday on the club volleyball scene in minnesota but really nationally as well but you know specifically to here and just how kind of eye-opening i think to a lot of us and just how large this scene is how many participants there are what the money looks like things like that so i wanted to have jeff on to talk a little bit more about that jeff how are you
1: i'm doing good ramball how are you doing
0: I'm doing quite well. It's uh, you know, it's been a it's been a good week. You know, we get into we get into May, and what I like about this time of year is it gives us a chance to write some of these stories and talk about some of these stories that you know we get we get grinding on. Man, are they gonna trade cat? Oh, man, Kirk Cousins threw short on fourth and eight. Like all the sports stuff that's relevant, that's good to talk about, but that. We can we can take some breathers here and like, get, like give give some of these stories a chance to breathe, give some depth to some interesting things. And so um, I'm, I'm excited to talk to you about this story and maybe just kind of starting off. Like, how did you how did you get the idea to do the story and what was it like to kind of get in getting into the initial reporting on, you know, just the size and scope of the club volleyball scene here?
1: It all started with the Gophers and uh, asking players at some point, I got curious about when did you know that you were really good at volleyball? Like how did, how do you kind of, because if, if the Gophers were landing these top level people, just as a, just in sports, I was always curious, how do you know that you're good? You know, when you're 15, 16 years old, when does that start happening and every player to a T said club. And um, so then I got just kind of curious about, well, I, I didn't know anything about club volleyball. Um, and um, had some really good insight and help getting underway from Vicki Seldiger Swenson, who is an assistant coach at Select, just because she's been in the world for a long time. Um, and started talking to her about it, and she said, "Oh, there's this Northern Lights qualifier. These are um, big-time operations at the convention center." And um, that got me in touch with the Northern Lights people, uh, Kirk Glesman and Adam Beamer, who were super helpful and and let me into their world to kind of see how they put. I mean how they put these events on. So before we get in too deep into it, I'll just say that when I, the tournament happened in January, um, I think my child was four months old at the time. I was not sleeping. No. And I can just remember, I I can remember, <laughs> there, but they told me, they go get here early. They explained kind of the system and they said, get here early because you're going to want to be here when warmups start happening. They said, because it's just, you, they just like you just, it's an interesting thing to see. So I walk in there at like 7.15 in the morning on a, and it's pitch black outside. You know, it's one of those Minnesota winter mornings. You, it feels like day never going to come. And you step into this place, and it was it was so overwhelming that I do remember at one point sitting down on an empty court by myself because I was like, <laughs> stop, of, whistling.
0: Stop, "Stop whistling! Stop
1: whistling! Stop whistling!" And also just like, ah, uh, like yeah, when you see sports in that magnitude, match after match, just piled on top of you, each other, stretching as far as the eye can see. um, it was just such a interesting and it was one wonder- I went there for three days in a row and spent the time just getting acclimated to it. and it was really wonderful. There were so many parents to talk to and so many coaches to talk to and um, it was a really neat introduction into the space. But then I spent the a couple of you know weeks and months after that trying to get deeper into what is this thing? How did it come to be? What direction is it taking? You know, when I first walked in there, I had no concept of how much this stuff costs. Um, right. And so that part did become interesting. And I think it was an essential part of the story um, was getting into just, you know, that this is a this is a fun, exciting place um, to live in and to observe. Um, but that doesn't mean it's perfect and nobody involved in it, it would say that, Um and so that was kind of I think where the story started to at least get a little more depth. And I think you also just learned that parents of uh, young athletes and parents of, of teenagers and things like that, there are a lot of things to consider with how they spend their time and money. Um, and so that to me became really the most interesting part over time was just thinking about um, how these these AAU and non high school related sports came to be, uh, what direction they're taking, and and what kind of an impact they have on on uh, youth sports just in, in general. So yeah.
0: And it is rather, you know, just, I don't know if it was the exact tournament that you were describing, but just in being at the convention center at various points over the years, like it's, it's inevitable that you're going to run into some sort of volleyball tournament. In fact, I think the last time I was there, it was, it was over the winter. And again, I don't know if it was this is this specific tournament, but I was there yeah. to bring my little boy to this dinosaur thing that was happening there. And mm-hmm. it was there, it was, it was That's very it. clear. Was it the same? Was that the same yeah. weekend? Yeah. Yeah. It was very clear who was there for the dinosaurs and who was there for the volleyball, but it was uh, it was also just like there's like hundreds of people roaming the halls in kind of these matching suits like you track suits or warm up suits like you describe in the story. And even just kind of anecdotally, you get a sense for how how big this is.
1: The thing, and that was the other element, which was whenever I would say, you know, I think that people who are involved in club sports, um, they're like the frog in the boiling pot of water. They have no idea how hot it is. And when I walked in and they would all say, this this tournament really isn't that big. You should go to AAU Nationals down in Orlando. You should go to Indianapolis for this. You should go to all these different events. And I understand there are bigger by an order of magnitude. But the fact that they can't see how big This is how many people are involved. The mass undertaking was another, like, just a light bulb going off my mind of this is huge. This is a humongous, completely self-sustaining ecosystem. And the people that are involved in it are deep in it. They all know each other. They all have history together. I think they all care deeply about the sport. I truly believe that. I'm I'm not a jaded reporter in this regard that I think that... Um, people are actively trying to get over on young athletes. I think almost everybody I talk to at their core is like trying to provide a great experience. But when you look at the size of it, you just go, there's no world where this many young athletes are going to all be getting the same thing out of this. Right. You know what I mean? Because yeah. the, the numbers just get to a point where um, you're going to buy just strictly by cost, you're going to eliminate certain people, which means that certain people aren't going to be able to take part. Um, and then you're going to also have this scenario, surely, where people's expectations aren't being met by the reality once they get involved in it. Um, and, you know, I don't know, but I haven't got to experience this this yet as a parent. But as a kid, I can remember what it was like to want to be a part of a really good, for me, it was basketball, a traveling basketball team, and I wasn't good enough. So, like, we had an ABC team back in the day in Chaska. Yep. And I had moved from a little town in Iowa where there was no, there was, like, everybody could play everything. Come to Chaska, we have a class of 500 kids. The grade behind us was Spencer Tollickson and those guys that won a state title. Really good basketball going on there. And qu- I quickly realized, like, I'm not I'm not good enough for this. Uh, But for a few years, it's like we would create the D team, a team outside of the, you know, so all of this stuff where kids want to be a part of a thing, even if, you know, the the odds of them having any kind of future success in it uh, are unlikely. And so, I I don't know, the size of it was really intriguing to me. And the question of, are people understanding what they're getting into? And are they finding value in it? Um, And a lot of parents said that there is real sacrifice Real sacrifice sure. of time and money uh, and emotional investment in a, in these areas, but they also said that at the end of the day, they they felt that there was a lot of great value that came out of it too. So, yeah.
0: and this happens, you know, in in other sports. When we think about Minnesota, we think about hockey in particular. The sacrifice, the cost of, you know, the going to early morning, late night practices, getting the ice time you need things like that. And I think we've seen some of the stuff with, you know, basketball and those kind of circuits, um, you know, ramping up in the select teams and the the traveling teams and even, you know, things like soccer with, you know, these giant tournaments and stuff like that was part of the part of the surprise. I'm sure, you know, it wasn't just the sheer cost, because I think you see, you know, tens of thousand dollars can get spent not quickly, but, you know, eventually in, <laughs> in these sports um, o- over time uh, was part of the surprise that it's volleyball that you just didn't that I think a lot of people that you thought people would be like, wow, this is happening in volleyball too, that this is such a big deal here that this is happening. And the scope of this is maybe even larger than some of these other sports and is just, you know, large, especially for this state.
1: Yeah, that is absolutely correct. That, um, and we have had national championship teams come out of Minnesota, you know, Northern lights has produced some national championship teams, select to produce some national championship teams, we also, you know, like I remember when I was watching the Gophers face Northern Iowa. Well, really, I was watching Northern Iowa face Florida State in the NCAA tournament last year before the Gophers played Southeastern Louisiana. And that Northern Iowa team had a bunch of Minnesota kids on it. Really good Minnesota kids. And that was another moment where I was sitting there thinking, the club, uh, the club experience is raising the talent level of these sports. It's why you're getting deeper and deeper uh, talent level at the collegiate at the collegiate uh level is because of all of the year-round training that athletes can can get and yet when i went into kind of start looking at the club thing there was this feeling of um i was not prepared simply not prepared for yeah. the style um yeah. and to realize again it goes back to that thing of of the people involved with it going, this isn't as large as it can get. In fact, the weekend that the Northern Lights qualifier was going on, now the reason that that is unique to me is because it's in one venue. So you step into this venue and it's like, oh my God. But that same weekend, there was a tournament being put on by Kokoro, which is another Minnesota club, that was larger in terms of sheer participation. Now that was spread out at multiple gyms and things like that around around the Metro. But on the weekend that this crazy tournament was happening, there was a larger tournament called wow. the Big City Luau. And I just remember kind of having this realization of the, the, the number of girls taking part in this is mind boggling. And the expense, I will say this, um, Annie Adams at Glavin, who, uh, you know, is an icon and one of the better interviews, uh you know, in, in, in sports, <laughs> um runs a club. And she told me that, you know, part of um part of kind of coming to grip with the size of this thing is realizing that you have to have an understanding of what you are trying to produce as a club. You know, that was kind of part of her ethos. And I think a lot of clubs have that, but that doesn't mean that they all are also trying to limit growth. They're seeing such an enormous expansion of interest, meaning kids who want to play, that every club told me, while well, they had the most number of participants this year the most teams that they've had they also are turning away more kids than ever so it t- starts to trickle you see what i mean so you talk about turning away more kids they're going to find another outlet they're going to find another club and it's just spreading like that yeah uh, and that's why it's like you feel like you're kind of getting a glimpse of a growing thing um even though it already feels feels huge
0: it did seem like a couple people you talked to in the story were I don't say worried, but had some kind of. We're trying to put up some guardrails around this idea of what you're in this for. You know, if, if a college scholarship is it is this kind of like thing that's kind of out there as you know this kind of hey, this is an investment. This isn't just an it isn't just a thing that we want our daughter to do or our daughter wants to do. That maybe this is going to pay off with some sort of you know golden ticket at the end. And then some some people are kind of concerned with like hey. This isn't the reality for the vast majority of participants. Should we be reimagining our model to be more of a participation model, to be a, hey, let's get the most out of sports model than it is this kind of fierce kind of winner take all competition? Let's all get better and better and, you know, better athletes, better, you know, play all these tournaments and you know, kind of iron sharpens iron kind of thing. What, what did yeah. you think about that aspect of it?
1: That's surely the core argument against some of this stuff. And it,
0: and, I, and, in, it, and in all youth sports, I would think a lot of youth sports yes. grapples with the same thing.
1: 100%. I mean, I think that's why I tried to throw some of those just national stats when they talk about the market of youth sports, how gigantic it is. This isn't just every sport, like you said, I'm sure is thinking about this. And every parent, I think, looks around and goes, is this a worthy investment? Is this the right thing? But you also are battling the other side of it, which is your kids. And so... That's where I think there's a real delicateness about how these programs operate, what they're marketing, how they're trying to get people involved, what they're trying to provide for these kids. Because when you place yourself at the intersection of parent and child dynamic, you place yourself at the intersection of expectation, youth expectation, you place yourself at the intersection of comparisons, meaning that you're now in the space of saying this young person is really good. We're going to put them in X, Y, Z. You know, you're putting a lot of um, responsibility on your own shoulders. If you're going to run one of these clubs, you're going to coach one of these clubs or be the director of one of these clubs. Um, And like I said, the people that I talk to genuinely seem to have uh, people's best interests as hard. But again, to me, uh, this is an opinion. This is not a reporting thing. I think, again, it goes back to this idea of being in something and not realizing how large it's gotten. Yeah you know, I think when you're just growing organically over 20 years, you know, a lot of these programs have been around for that long. You kind of are just, it feels natural to go from six teams to 37 teams or from 12 teams to 63 teams. And you're kind of going, okay, this feels normal. Um, But I think some of the people involved in it occasionally take a step back and go, is this normal? And are we directionalizing? And Laura Bush, who was a gopher coach and um, now is, you know, working sort of at the top level of club as a, as a regional organizer for USA volleyball, when you're talking to somebody at that position and they're expressing these doubts and these questions, I think, you know, that that is a feeling that probably is being felt throughout um, not just club volleyball, but youth sports in general, this thing of, okay, we are the adults in the room. Are we, are we providing the right things for these kids? I mean, I love watching volleyball. It's my favorite sport to watch. And yet when I was at those tournaments, I remember thinking, yeah, the 18 ones and the 17 ones, okay, I can see how you're starting to get to that point of this is different than just high school athletics. This is yeah. really high level. This is where you're getting into your your potentially college career or something like that. But you start going down to younger age groups and stuff. And that's where it starts to get a little bit, your shoulders start to move like, well, I hope this is going the right way. And I hope that the people who are involved with the 12, 13, 14 year old, you know, young person are helping them to navigate. And you see it all the way up. I mean, you can see it when these great high school players go and play for a team like the Gophers. Well, okay, here's a whole new reality. And you've been the best your whole life. And now you've got to enter into a completely different space. And maybe you've been being told from the day you were 13 years old that you were the chosen one and you're the star of this and that. Well, now that's going to change on you very quickly. Are you mentally ready to handle that kind of stuff? All of these things that are much deeper than just, hey, let's go play some volleyball for seven months (laughs) out of
0: the year. Yeah
1: and go compete. Um, so yeah, it. I, like I said, I don't, I, I have no answers, but I think that I, I do think that, uh, club directors and people who are in club administration are thinking about this stuff because you have to be, I don't know how you, how you couldn't be.
0: Yeah. And so much of it comes down to individual choice, knowing what, you know, parents kind of, Navigating that and knowing their own children and saying, "Is this right for you? Is this the right space for you?" And eventually, they'll tell you one way or the other. They'll be like, "Yes, this is what I want to be doing," or "No, this is what I don't want to be doing." Like this is not worth it for me. And it, it might, you know, it might come naturally. It might come, you know, in the form of a, of a burnout if they get to that point. But but you're right. As long as they're kind of, as long as there's kind of some of these checkpoints along the way where where they're asking the right questions and saying like. How are we doing this? Is is the you know not even like is this worth it from a college scholarship standpoint, but is it worth it to like is this investment of time and energy worth it? Um, as long as they're asking those questions, then you know it's it's just like anything else that you're going to sink a lot of time into. It's if it's your passion, it's your passion.
1: The tricky thing to me though is, and I was talking about my brother about this because he has some older kids, and I was just trying to get a feel for this on a personal level where I could ask all kinds of intimate questions <laughs> and not feel weird. And he was talking about travel baseball in this instance, and saying that you know you pay all this money, and you don't you don't know if it's worth it. And I go, and the money is can be difficult. And I said, but what's it like when you're at the games? He goes, oh well, I'm having a great time. That's when it's fun. You get to observe your kid, uh, you know, playing the sport and having it. And so I do think even parents who are trying their best to be thoughtful can have that pull, that pull of um, trying to give your kid a really uh, what you feel might be a really good experience or to help them to achieve things they want. I mean. Like you know, I stopped playing basketball when I was sixteen. When I worked at a car wash, my mom still thinks I made a mistake. You could have been a star, you know. She gives me all that stuff. I'm like, Mom, you're out of your mind. But I think parents are always going to have a a hard time disassociating their kids' wants and their kids' needs from maybe something that is slightly out of reach and things like that. Um, and so that's the fascinating stuff. And I, yeah, like you were just saying, I mean that's a parents responsibility and it's not easy but I do think that um along with that these clubs have to be having some sort of thought about it it has to be on their mind you know
0: yes yeah exactly and I had a very similar experience with baseball and my dad like the brought the time I stopped playing I was I had plateaued I had reached a certain point in my baseball journey where I still loved it but I was like I'm just I'm just not quite good enough anymore. I think it's time to hang it up. And then there was still like this, like, ah, oh, you sure? Like, boy, you were, you know, I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure. Like I still want to play it. But that, that, that major league dream was a far away dream. I just don't, I don't think, I don't think I quite had the, uh, did, did not quite have the, the final ability to get it there. Um, Jeff, the final thing for you, Jeff Day, really enjoying this conversation about club volleyball and just youth sports in general. What, you know, I think a lot of what you wrote about was kind of what's, what's happened up to this point what 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 comes next i mean i don't get the sense that this is slowing down at any point uh, what what did you get the sense from what you observed and the people you're talking to in terms of wh- where where volleyball goes from here
1: I, I don't think it uh yeah i i think laura bush had the correct uh you know sort of analysis which is there's i don't think there's any going back um you know, you talk about things like name, image, likeness coming down to the youth market. That is happening. There are yeah. high school kids who are getting targeted for that stuff. Um, you talk about the growth of the game of volleyball in the country. You know, more college. You know, this is not some limited sport. There are three hundred Division One teams. There's money flooding into college athletics. There's going to be more scholarship money. Um, I just think that it's why it's why volleyball fascinates me as a reporter, because I look at it. I look at the participation numbers. You look at what a good team uh, like the Gophers or like Nebraska just sold out Lincoln Memorial State. They're going to play an outdoor game in front of 86,000 fans. They think it might have a chance to top the U.S. Women's World Cup gold medal match in Los Angeles for the most watched women's sporting event in American history. Wow. Wisconsin obviously has a huge pro. The Big Ten in general is just a dynamic volleyball conference. Um, and then you go to an event like this and you just say, wow, it's like a pressure valve or something. You feel like there's all of this energy around it, and yet it is stuck in its own world. It is very tightly wound, I think, with the people who are involved in it. Um, and its outlet in the United States is unclear to me. I don't know what that outlet is. I don't know what its direction is because when you have this many people participating and you get done with college, you know, like CeCe McGraw, she was an assistant coach for the select team, right? Just graduated from the U after just a historic career. Her options are be a coach, you know, go coach or go play overseas if you, if you can make that work or if you're good enough to do that. Um, And so that's why it's like, to me, the growth Feels like a real thing because I don't even think it has a full a full comprehension of what it is as a sport in the in the US. Will they be able to develop a really good professional league here? Maybe, maybe not. If they don't, what does that mean? Like, what does it mean to have a sport that doesn't have a sort of top line outlet in your country, and yet you're the number one participation sport for young girls in, in America? That's wow.
0: You know yeah. what I mean? That's the part yeah. that's
1: confusing, that's confusing to me. It continues to interest me. So it. I will just say one more thing. It is a fascinating world. And if you have some kind of connection to any family member or anybody playing club volleyball, and there's a qualifier happening in Minnesota at that convention center, it is worth going to see. You have never seen anything like it. At least I had never seen anything like it in my entire life. It was fascinating uh, to, to, to spend some time
0: with. Yeah, fascinating. And that came out in the story. I encourage everybody to go back and read that. Still very much available on StarTribune.com and we'll be in your Sunday print edition as well. Jeff Day, appreciate the time as always. Um great job on that story. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Mike. Hope you enjoyed that interview with Jeff Day. Really enjoyed talking to him as I always do great insights, some additional stuff that wasn't in the story. So please do go check that out though on StarTribune.com. Um, Just a a wonderful read, an interesting journey into the world of club volleyball and some of the broader questions about youth sports. Let's finish with the cooler really quick. The Lynx fell to 0-3, lost at Phoenix. Uh, I think Phoenix made 10 three-pointers in the first half. The Lynx made one. That pretty much told the story of the game. Couldn't get Nafisa Collier going. This I don't know. This could be a long season for the Lynx. I know it's just three games. I know they've started slow before. This does not feel like a team that's going to have a whole lot of uh, a whole lot of positive momentum this season. I don't know. Maybe just maybe. And again, like I've said before, though, this would not be the worst year in the world to finish in the bottom four of the league, to have another crack at the lottery, and to come away with one of those excellent players like Caitlin Clark, like. uh like Paige Beckers, like a lot of these other players that are gonna be in that draft. So this could be the beginning of something, even if it's not a great season for the Lynx, even if it is not a great beginning to this season at 0 and 3. That'll do it for me today. Have a great weekend. Like I said, back at it Tuesday with Patrick Roycey. Should have Rachel Blount on Wednesday show to talk horse racing, couple really interesting stories that she is either working on or has already worked on and plenty more to come next week as well. We'll talk to you then. Enjoy your weekend. I'm Michael Rand. See you then.